You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. I need you to hope beyond reason because that's where powerful praise and prayer is birthed. All right, I need you to hope beyond reason because that's where powerful prayer and praise, praise and prayer is birthed. All right, and so I started to receive that and think about that and, and meditate on it. And then the, and then the Lord said this, and, and we will get to this later on. He said, hope eats. Okay, hope feeds. Hope eats because it wants to be strong. This will be on a slide later for those of you who are trying to take notes, but I just want to give it to you at the front here. Hope eats because it wants to be strong for a future that lies beyond the problem. Hope eats, feeds, because it wants to be strong for a future that lies beyond the problem. Hopelessness starves and wastes away or feeds itself on the wrong things because there is no future to prepare for. Hopelessness starves, wastes away, or feeds on unhealthy things, because there is no future to prepare for in hopelessness's life mindset. Okay, So the Lord spoke those two things for you, and to be very honest, um, by this time as I'd gone through that for a little bit, it was getting up toward four o'clock in the morning, and I said, God, I'd really like to sleep for another hour or so, but I'll get up and start writing this down if you need me to. I don't want this to be one of those times where I think I've heard something from you and then you know, I go back to sleep and then I wake up the next morning and can't remember what it is. I really didn't want that. I said, I'll absolutely get up and start writing this stuff down because I could tell a download was coming. Uh, if you want me to, I, I'll do it right now. But if it's okay... <laughs> I really wouldn't mind sleeping for another hour, hour and a half. And so I remember saying that to, the, to God in the next, and then I woke up at six o'clock. So he let me sleep. So that was generous. But when I woke up, it was just as strong and just going around. So I, I got up and then began to put all this down. So, so what does this mean? Hope beyond reason. We need to hope beyond reason because in that place, of hoping with biblical hope that often goes beyond human reason, okay? That's the place where praise is birthed. Really powerful praise that changes things is birthed out of that place. Powerful prayer that changes things is birthed out of that place. And so let me just give you a couple of things. Uh, these were These were things that came in at the same time in the same download. Heaven's reason is not always reasonable to the natural man. The way God thinks, how many of you know, God thinks differently than we do. I mean, there's no question about it. We are confronted with that over and over and over again. It's unreasonable to think that a fig tree could dry up from the roots because somebody spoke to it, right? It's unreasonable to think that the wind and the waves would stop because somebody got up and spoke to it, all right? The the religious leaders thought it was totally unreasonable that the disciples of Jesus, who they called unlearned men, were able to speak to these crowds with such wisdom 
and heal the sick and raise the dead and all of the things that were going on in the book of Acts. That was totally, the religious leader said, you didn't go to the right schools. You didn't do this right. You're not part of our group. This is unreasonable. Uh, the Greek culture thought it was the, the, what Paul's message, it was totally unreasonable that somebody would die for the sins of the world. And, and you know, I mean, we, we, still have, we still have that today. They said that the gospel, in fact, the, the scripture tells us that to anyone who doesn't have the spirit of God, the gospel is foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. It, it does not line up with human reason, with the way that we can figure things out. And let me say this right at the beginning, nothing against reason. Uh, God gave us the ability to reason and to figure things out and to do things better and all of that. That's fine. But biblical hope goes beyond what we can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Biblical hope uh, lives in a different place. Heavenly hope, hope that comes from God, lives and sees beyond reason. All right, so this is what he's talking about to us as having a living hope in our hearts that goes beyond what we can see in the natural, what we can perceive in the natural, what would make sense for our future to look like. Hope sees beyond that and makes preparation for that and moves us into a place of seeing beyond the current situation and pulling that that lies beyond the promises of God that lies beyond it, it, it pulls it in, okay? It pulls it into reality. Biblical hope sees the impossible as totally possible with God. You know, we've said this for years that all impossibilities are equally possible with God. There is nothing impossible for God. Scripture tells us that. So I just really believe that this is essential right now because it's essential all the time, but with with just what Boyd was just talking about, with all the voices out there giving us a worst case scenario for what this virus would do, what the, is going to happen with the economy. Think about how many times in your lifetime, it's easier for those of us that have more lifetime, those voices have been wrong. They've been dead wrong. We were told uh, back before the, what, 2016 election, this economy, the old American economy, can never come back. That can never happen. That's, that's gone. No such thing. What's he going to wave a magic wand? And, and I'm not just attributing this just to the president, but here we are, not today, but a month ago, with this roaring economy again. They're wrong a lot. They were wrong about how many hospital beds would be needed, how many ventilators would be needed, how many people would contract the virus. They're wrong. And so to allow that doesn't mean there's no reality out there. It doesn't mean that at all. But to allow that and those voices to determine our perception of our future is not wise. And in order for us to pray and to praise him for what lies beyond this current situation, we've got to let him paint the picture in our heart. We've got to function. We Christians have got to function from biblical hope. And we're going to define that again in just a second. Um, but we've got to be functioning from biblical hope. If you are of the opinion, I talked to somebody just this week who deals with a lot of believers uh, and, and non-believers, but particularly this discussion was about believers. 
And this person was getting discouraged because they were saying, everybody thinks that this thing is God's judgment, God punishing people, God sent this virus, God's making people sick. And I said, who are you listening to? Because, you know, I don't listen to people that think that, you know, that because, and, and where, you know, where are those voices coming from? Not everyone. And this is how it can feel in any situation, you know, forget the virus. We tend this way in any situation. We start to hear something and we'll start using terms like everyone thinks. It always happens this way. We'll, we'll make those extreme statements when the reality is, no, not everyone thinks that. The Holy Spirit doesn't think that or he'd be erasing Bible verses as fast as he could go because that's not what the scripture tells us about who Jesus Christ is. God identified himself as the healer, not the one who makes people sick. He, uh, Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came to give us life and life more abundantly. We can learn about the nature of God by looking at Jesus Christ. And we need to allow that picture, that image, that knowledge to, to birth hope, and from that, praise and thanksgiving and adoration and excitement and anticipation about what lies beyond uh, what, what we're looking at right now. But if you're going to pray that way, you're going to have to be grounded in the truth of who God says he is. You're going to have to take that above what a lot of people, maybe a lot of your friends, maybe a lot of people say about God. That's why you have a Bible and you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. You don't have to just take, I don't care who it is, including me, by the way, you need to take what we're talking about here and you need to go to the Spirit of God with it and go to your Bible with it. This is what we do in the New Testament. We don't just listen to theologians. You know what? Theologians are human beings. And while we have lots of great information out there, not all of it is right just because it's written down in a book. You can know the Spirit of God for yourself and then don't let these other voices shake that. In fact, you can be a catalyst for bringing hope and life into people's lives. That's, that's who we are supposed to be. You know, he's the God that forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. This one is not bigger than he is. So I want to take just a minute here and, and just go through this. I, want to, I need to do this very quickly today, but I know we have people out there, especially these days with the live stream, uh, you guys have heard about what biblical hope is a lot, but not everybody has heard that message. So as we go on, we, we need to all be on the same page. So here are some kind of basics about hope. So the word hope in the scripture does not mean what we usually mean in English. When we say, I hope, we usually mean, I wish this would happen. Uh, boy, what a fairy tale that would be, you know. Oh, I, I hope, you know, it's possible. You know, that's not what the word hope that comes from the Greek word elpis, E-L-P-I-S. The last part of that, P-I-S, is the first part of the word pistis, which is the word faith. So hope is, this is what it is. It's confident expectation of good, okay? Confident expectation or anticipation. I'm expecting this, all right? That's what biblical hope is, is confident expectation. Hope's posture is one of anticipation. It's focused on what God has said. It's focused, all right? It's not easily distracted. It's confident. It's prepared in advance. It prepares 
in advance. When hope's working in your heart, you'll start to make preparation for what you can't see yet. All right, that's, that's what biblical hope does. All right, it's hope is awake. Hope is aware. Hope is not discouraged. Hope is looking forward. It is, it is excited. There is anticipation birthed out of what God is showing on the inside. Hope, the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us that hope becomes a blueprint to which faith brings reality. All right, hope becomes, I usually use this example, it's like concrete forms. They have shape, but they don't have structure. All right, faith becomes the title deed, becomes the ownership. It takes full possession of what hope looks forward to. Okay, hope looks confidently forward, faith takes possession. Hope says this is coming, faith says it's now. All right, but it's like a, you know, hope can be like a concrete form and the concrete of faith gets poured into it. So it's another teaching. Hope is birthed out of vision. All right, when we say vision, we're not necessarily talking about having a big open vision where you see angels and heavens opened and all that, that happens. But we're talking about an image that God paints in your heart. Something that through his word and through his interaction with you, God paints in your heart and you begin to see something that doesn't exist yet. Okay, it doesn't exist yet, but you have a knowing on the inside, this is what God wants and this is what God's saying. Now it's up to us to begin to praise him over that and begin to to pull on that by faith, to begin to pray that out, to begin to get excited about that, to begin to allow hope to arise in your heart. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, That's a good definition of vision that we're talking about, a redemptive revelation of God or from God. Where that doesn't exist, it says the people perish. We've talked about this many times. That word perish means they just spread out like if you pour water water in the parking lot and the way it just goes everywhere. There's no channel for it to go in. There's nothing to direct it. When we don't have vision, there's nothing to direct our hearts. And so... Where there is vision, where God begins to speak into our heart and he starts to paint a different picture of how things can be, hope is one of the things that is birthed in that situation, all right? Our hearts are designed to receive divine vision, to know what God is saying, to grab hold of it, and to begin to allow it to change our lives, to live from it. Okay, and in our current situation, that's so important because we need to hope beyond what is just, you know, the world is going to function from what they can reason. And then there are all kinds of things that the world does that are not reasonable. They're done for a political agenda or for power or for whatever. And they aren't even reasonable. They don't even make sense. But there is this idea that, I mean, that's all human beings have to function on if they don't know God. But God wants to put something in your heart and in my heart that goes beyond reason. And we have to be willing to not reject that, to not say, oh, that could never, how, how, could, that, how could that be? I don't see how that could happen. Well, this would, this would be a problem, that would be a problem, that would be a problem. Well, God's been working out problems for an awful long time beyond what we can think about. So over in Romans chapter 4, we're going to look at several verses here. Uh, Romans chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 17. The scripture talks to us about this whole idea of of how Abraham was in a situation where there was no 
absolutely no physical reason on earth for him to believe the promise of God, and yet he did. There was no emotional support from his circumstances. Everything looked bad. Everything didn't look like it was possible for God. God was 100 years old, almost. And the, all of that story happens between 75 years old, when God first speaks to him and says, I'm going to bring a son out of you, and the whole world's going to be blessed through that son. He's 75 years old, and it wasn't until they were 99 years old that that promise was fulfilled. So think about that length of time. Think about a 24, 25-year-old period, year old, year period, where God had said something to you, and you were holding on to that. Think of all the things that would come against that vision. Think of all, and Abraham went through all that. He had times where he tried to bring it about himself. Sarah tried to bring it about herself. Various things happened. But this scripture tells us that they hung on. Through hope, they hung on to their faith. So in verse 17, it says, As it is written, I have made you, God has made Abraham, is what we're talking about here, I have made you a father of many nations. This was what God said to Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham was not a father of anybody at the time that this promise came. Abraham was not a father of anybody, and he was too old to father anybody. Sarah was too old to conceive children. It was absolutely impossible when the promise came into their hearts. But God even said it in the past tense. I've I've done it. What does that mean? When God says it, it's done. Whether we receive it and participate in it or whether he has to find somebody else or a different generation, it's done. When God says it, it's going to happen. We can participate or not participate, but he is going to do it. So I have made you the father of many nations. He is now, Paul speaking of Abraham, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. That in the sight of God is so important because if God sees it and God says it, Jesus said, Father, your word is truth. All right, so we are in the sight of God who God says we are. And if we are who God says we are in the sight of God, then we are who God says we are. I don't care what's going on in the natural. I don't care what our life looks like. I don't care all the imperfections that you and I can find in ourselves. The truth is you're the righteousness of God in Christ because of the blood that he shed. If it's in the sight of God, that's reality. The heavenly reality is a higher reality than this earthly reality. And we're here to bring one into the other, okay? He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Calls things that are not as though they were. So God calls, and I think the, um, I think the Passion Translation says, he calls, in, he calls things into being that don't exist yet. Something like that. All right, that's the idea here. It doesn't exist yet. God calls it into being, all right? This is the place where hope lives. It lives in this place where the impossible is possible. What has never existed can exist, all right? This is where biblical hope lives. It says that, I love this, it says, he is our father 
in the sight of God in whom he believes. And that's going to go on to say, and so he became. He is, because God said it, and so he became. Does that make sense to you? God gives life where there's no natural possibility of life. All right. Calls things into being that just don't even exist yet. All right. What's too hard for him? What's impossible for him? Nothing. All right. Romans 4.18. It says, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, living in hope, believed. All right. Against all hope. That means there was no natural reason for him to have hope. There was no evidence in the natural that he could ever have a child. There was no emotional support for this belief. There was none of that out there for him. But Abraham maintained his hope by looking at God and his promises, not by looking at natural circumstances. The Bible's going to tell us that in just a second here. There was So against all hope, without any reason for hope, right? Abraham lived in hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became. Stayed in hope. He put his faith out there. He believed. And by the way, in the New Testament, which this is, that word believed doesn't just mean to mentally assent to something, to mentally agree with something. It means... It, it literally has the idea of putting the weight of your life on something that you believe to be true. It means you step out on it, all right? You know that the ice is thick enough, so you step out on it. You put the weight of your life on what you believe, all right? So in that place of hope, Abraham believed and so became the father of many nations. It came to pass in his life, even though it was impossible. That's what hope does. It launches us out into something that is, is impossible, but hope sees beyond the impossible and grabs hold of what's possible in God. All right, so that goes beyond reason. I think you understand what I'm saying. Verse 19 says, without weakening in his faith, I'm reading from the NIV, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. I love that terminology. His body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Don't you feel that way some mornings? And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. Now, if you're reading the King James Version or, or some others, it, it almost sounds like he's, he's, it's saying that he didn't look at the condition of his body. That's not really what that means. It, it, if you dig into the language a little bit, this is exactly right. He faced the fact. He looked at, so in other words, he didn't, he didn't maintain his hope by denying that the problem existed. He didn't pretend he was 20 years old, okay? He, he did not deny the, the natural reality. He just instead embraced that God's reality was higher than what he could see in the natural, all right? He did face the fact. So that's important because a lot of times uh, when we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to stand, we're trying to believe God about something that doesn't look possible, and we can't see how it would work out. And we will try and just push what's in the natural out, 
You know, we'll, we'll just say, it's one thing to say, I deny you the right to, uh, to forecast my future current situation. I, I deny you the right to do that. But to, but to say it doesn't exist, it's just not there. No, it's there. It's there. There is a virus going around. It doesn't have the right or the authority to overstep God's word. It doesn't have the right or the authority to determine your future. God's bigger than that. So it says, Abraham, without weakening in his faith. That to me is, I mean, that's huge. He's going through this process for 24, 25 years. And he didn't weaken in his faith. And I think that's what all of us struggle with is, God, I, I want to believe you. You know, sometimes... Faith is really important to receiving the promises of God. Absolutely, it's very important. But sometimes we also have to remember that Jesus healed people that didn't have any faith. You know, God is who he is, whether I have faith or not. But again, my appropriation and living in, appropriation of living in his promises that he has made, it does have a lot to do with faith, but faith isn't the only component. I think there was a time in our history where I think we, we were, you know, I think the Holy Spirit was emphasizing faith, but we almost made it everything it was about faith. But now there's, there's grace, there's the mercy of God. It's, it's all about your relationship with him. So he didn't deny, he didn't maintain hope by denying the natural, but by considering it inferior to God's promises. All right, go to verse 20, Romans 4.20. says, yet he did not waver Okay, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He did not waver. That means he didn't vacillate back and forth between what he could see around him and God's promise. He didn't just keep going back and forth. He didn't keep, you know, a lot of times we justify, we talk ourselves out of what God's saying. God gives us a big vision for the future. and We talk ourselves out of it because, oh, well, that couldn't happen. Or we start we start listening to voices who don't know. I try not. I don't mean this critically. This is just an observation. There are people who don't know how to or about believing God for something that looks impossible. They don't even know that's a part, honestly, of Christianity anymore. They think that was something Jesus did, but that you know we just kind of live our lives until we go to heaven. No. We are, to, we are to be doing the same works that Jesus did and greater works than these, he said. So, you know, sometimes we start listening to those voices and they start accusing God or they start saying that's impossible. Or they start saying, you're stupid to believe that. You know, whatever, Abraham did not vacillate. He did not go back and forth. He wasn't double-minded, all right? Through unbelief regarding the promise of God, I love this, but he was actually strengthened in his faith. Over this period of time, he got stronger. When it wasn't happening, the, the thing that was promised wasn't happening. There was still no evidence of it. He actually got stronger in his faith. He had to be, and we know he was, but he had to be spending time with God. That's how we get stronger in our faith. You know, he didn't waver he was actually strengthened in his faith. And as he was strengthened in his faith, it says he gave glory to God. He gave, and this is where, again, when you're living in hope, powerful praise begins to erupt. Powerful prayers begin to erupt because hope 
sees it and anticipates it. And is, I keep seeing this like a little kid, just so excited about this thing coming. And mom and dad are like, how in the heck are we going to do that? But the kid doesn't know that. They're just excited about this thing that isn't a reality right now, but wow, that's possible. That's what hope does on the inside of us. And, it, and, and, so, and so in that, he, he gave glory to God. He exalted God. He, he declared who God is by both his words and his lifestyle. It says, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. All right? Literally, where it says he did not waver, it means he did not let the natural reality separate him from the reality embodied in God's promise. There's, a, there's the idea of separation. He didn't let what he could see around him separate him from the reality that was contained in God's promise. That is just amazing. So these are times, any of these kinds of times, where we're facing a big challenge and, and we don't see how it could be some other way. These are the times that we talk about frequently where we have an opportunity in this time to praise God for who he is in a difficult situation. You'll never have that in heaven. You will never have that opportunity in heaven. These are the times where we get to give what the Bible calls that sacrifice of praise, where I don't even, I don't even feel it. It's hard. It's heavy. But I praise you, Father. I lift up your name because I know who you are. These are those times. And that's honestly, that is a privilege. That is, a, it is, is something that helps us to grow. It strengthens us. It's an awesome privilege. So let me give you this final point. And I'll just give you a few examples of it. We can be done this morning. This is again what the Lord said. Hope eats. Okay, that means eats, feeds, feeds itself. Because it wants to be strong for a future that lies beyond the problem. All right? It sees the future beyond the problem. So it eats. It stays strong. Hopelessness wastes away or because it starves and wastes away or, the Lord said, it's not on your screen, feeds on the wrong things because it does not see a future. There is no future for hopelessness to, to look toward, to prepare for, all right? We can see this in the natural. We all know this. People who become totally discouraged and depressed and are hopeless, they stop eating, right? They waste away physically. Whole, whole groups of people have done this on the planet because of oppression that was in their life. We can do this if we let all of the negativity get on the inside of us. We'll stop feeding on the things of God. We'll stop feeding on what God has said. We'll stop feeding on the hope that he has put in our hearts. We'll stop going back and saying, Father, show me that vision again. I want, show me the pictures again, Lord. Show me the videos. I, I want to see this again. What you have in your heart for this community, what you have in your heart for this valley. I'm not seeing it out there, but I see it every time I come to you. What you have in your heart for this church. I'm not seeing it right in front of me. <laughs> it's a lot of chairs. That's good. We got chairs. Uh, I'm not seeing it right in front of me, but I see it in my heart. Every time I spend time with you, I see it in my heart. What do you see for my marriage? What do you see for my kids? What's your vision? What's your purpose? What do you see for my business? What do you see? I don't care what's going on out there. What do you say and what do you see? It's that place 
then begin to declare it, begin to speak it, begin to pray it, begin to prophesy it out, release it out. It'll, it helps you, but it also brings things in. Hope will feed. Discouragement will waste away or feed on the wrong things. Think about this with me. When you get really discouraged or get really down, what do you have cravings for? Broccoli, you know, broccoli and cauliflower, some good, I don't know what else is good. There's probably other good stuff that's awful. That's not what I have cravings for. I want ice cream. I want chips. I want junk. I want Dots pretzels. I, you know, I, I want junk and I want to eat junk. And I want to, you know, I want to eat things I shouldn't eat. And the same thing happens with us spiritually. We'll start to feed on those negative voices that justify our unbelief. Those negative voices are saying, yeah, this is impossible. Oh, it's all going to go down the tubes. Oh, you better rely on us. You better rely on the government. You better rely on us. You better rely on this and that. And and let us do it. Let us take care of you. We'll start feeding on all that stuff instead of keeping hold of the vision that God has given us or going out and getting the vision that we haven't received yet, we will stop feeding. And so feeding, it does mean feeding. But it also, remember over in Genesis 26, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, we saw how Isaac planted in a time of famine. And he reaped a hundredfold in the same year, it says. He sowed seed. He, he planted into his future that he couldn't see and was not evident. And nobody else was doing it. It was a famine. It was a foolish thing to do in the natural. It was not reasonable. But his hope went beyond reason. And so he planted into his future. He actually invested in a future that was absolutely impossible to see and didn't look like it was going to happen. Okay, Genesis 26. So that's a part of this hope feeds thing too. We'll invest in our future. Okay, another one. Uh, we say this all the time. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 23, 5. God sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We sang this morning about right in the presence of our enemies, we're putting up a hallelujah. We're putting up praise. We're going to praise him for who he is. It, and, and I love that line, I, I raise a hallelujah that goes way beyond the unbelief, all right? Goes beyond the unbelief. I just, I love that. It, it just stirs me up. So God sets a table before us in the presence of his enemies. He invites us to come down and feed, sit down and feed on him right in the presence of the problem. Okay, here's another one. These are just examples of this hope feeds thing. Luke chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. When Jesus came, Luke tells us that when he came to the Passover meal, where we get the communion table, he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. All right, so, so here he is, he's facing the cross. He's faith, facing natural death and, and also taking the weight of our sin upon him. He's facing all of that and his desires to sit down with the guys that he loves the most and eat eat the Passover meal. And he says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 
So the meaning of the Passover meal was deliverance. It was God passing over, I mean, uh, the, the death angel passing over because of the blood of the lamb on those homes. It was about, there was a fulfillment coming and Jesus going to the cross. And Jesus is sitting there on that side of the cross, facing all of that, facing actual separation from the Father on our behalf, facing all of that, And he's looking beyond to when the meaning of this meal will be fulfilled in the kingdom. That's when I'm going to eat it again. I will eat this again when it's fulfilled in the kingdom. So he's looking beyond and he's sitting down and eating on this side. Isn't that powerful? Man, I've got to think about that for a while. I I don't feel like I've gotten everything out of this particular part of this yet. And then finally over in Acts 27 verses 35 and 36. All right, it's talking about where Paul was on the ship and they were in the storm and people were wanting to get off and all these different things were happening. And Paul heard from God, an angel came and spoke to him and he heard from God and he came to him and said, look, I understand, I'm really paraphrasing this. I understand, you know, you're all scared, but not a one of you, as long as everybody stays in the ship, not a one, not a single life will be lost. And he broke bread. He basically had communion there. He broke bread and he encouraged all of them to eat. Why? Because there was life beyond the storm. They'd been out there for 14 days in this storm, in this little ship on the ocean. <laughs> Not the place I'd want to be. And, and these are all sailors. They know what's going on. And Paul encourages them, eat. Why? Because you need to be strong when this whole thing is over. All right? So I just feel like for all of us right now, we need to be feeding on what will strengthen our vision for beyond where we are right now. We need to be pulling on that, not just for ourselves, but for everybody else out there that maybe doesn't even know how to pull on things from God. Everybody else out there is being, this isn't just, we can't get self-centered. This isn't just about us. Having an economy going, you know, in our valley, having businesses be able to survive, that's an important thing. Well, we need to be pulling on it from a God perspective. We need to be pulling that in for everybody else, including ourselves. Getting beyond this thing, getting, uh, you know, uh, you can talk about normal or whatever. I, I want to get to the future that God has for. I've felt from day one, there's a lot of opportunity here. And as hard as I've tried at times, I can't shake that feeling, okay? And I know it's the Lord, that there's a lot of opportunity here. He has a lot to go beyond. Uh, he has a lot to do beyond all of this. So I just think it's so important for us to have a hope that goes beyond reason. And if you have too many voices coming into your life, telling you it's impossible, telling you that can't happen, telling you you're going to get sick, whatever it is, why are you listening to that? You don't have to listen to all these people. Put your garbage can lid on and guard your heart and don't let that stuff down inside of you. All right, I got to quit. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. I pray, Father, that the things that we have spoken, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, would, ah, the word that's coming to my mind, just brand us with them, just impress them into our hearts and bring out the revelation that we need for each of our individual lives and and how we go forward together and what you have for us. And and I pray specifically for anybody this morning who has gotten down into that hopeless 
place, Father, that no, they would not only that, first of all, that would be broken off of their life this morning, and then that in Jesus' name, Lord, they would begin to feed again on you, on the vision, on your life, on the things that you are saying to them. Lord, I thank you for a people that rise up in strength, that rise up and lead the way forward, that see beyond the problem and pull it in by faith. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. We're going to be dismissed, and we'll see you soon, I hope. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.